Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel Amidon. And I'm Ann Monroe. And this is The Road to Better Teaching, a podcast series where we discuss stories of teacher development. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. Excellent. Well, and this is exciting. We have a, a special guest that's a former, grad, well, a graduate, a graduate alum uh, of our program. We have Dr. Alina Harges. How are you? I'm doing well. And not only that, now a part of the School of Education. Now a part of the faculty in the School of Education. Yes. This yes. started this fall. Yes. Excited yes. to have yeah. her. I'm excited to be here. So before she learned of our reputation, invite her on the podcast. Because she said yes. <laughs> yeah, after right. she finds it, after this, she'll never say <laughs> yes again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Harges, Alina, uh, you know, could you give a little bit of an introduction? What, what's your path? What, what led you to be here now working at the School of Education? Give a, give a little, little back history. Well, I've been in education for the past 20 to 21 years. Yeah. A student at Ole Miss for a, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody might say I'm a career student That's in the past. I don't know. But um, so, yeah, I, I went to school here undergrad and... I didn't actually start off an education major. Oh, really? What, what was I it? I started off with my major. Uh, it was chemistry. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. I think I wanted to be a chemist in my mind or maybe even a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I've always wanted to teach. So even if it was chemistry, maybe teach chemistry. Or yeah, yeah. Something okay. here, maybe on the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I changed my major to education. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in a little bit. Um, but so once I graduated, I started teaching in Holly Springs because that's my hometown. Okay. So they wanted me to come back home and teach. So I taught there for a while. And I've taught in several school districts mm-hmm. um, because my husband, he's a educator as well. He's a school administrator and with administration, he's moved around some, and so as the wife, I've moved with him. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, while in school, I had the opportunity to get an adjunct in graduate school, uh-huh. and so doing adjunct work along with teaching kind of led me into higher ed. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that that's kind of what why I'm here now. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Going to conferences, doing presentations alongside my professors, and so. Yeah, yeah. Here I am. There you go. Get that nudge and come on, come on back. Yeah, yeah I kind of got a nudge. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Absolutely. Hey, can you um, start by thanking three teachers who have shaped your development as a person as we're jumping in here? Well, I would like to thank all of my teachers, uh, including y'all yeah. yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But in thinking in terms of K-12, mm-hmm. I have three that always stick with me and come to mind. One is Dr. Irene Walton Turnit. She's mm-hmm. currently the superintendent in Holly Springs. And she used to be, well, she started off as my assistant teacher. Oh, wow. And I was able to, like, as a student, watch her excel in her career from becoming an assistant teacher on to becoming my math teacher, on to becoming the principal when I went back home to teach. And into now being the superintendent. Wow. Wow, that's, that's great. A, that's great, yeah. She's had a, a tremendous impact on me um, as yeah. far as being a former teacher. Mm-hmm. That's perseverance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Mrs. Virginia Hood, 
I grew up in church with her. Uh-huh. She was my eighth grade English teacher. And I can just remember the stern lessons in her English class about writing and plagiarism. <laughs> I love it. I got my first lesson about plagiarism in her class in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think, for whatever reason, I was kind of upset. But when you think back on it, why was I mad? Because that's a lesson that we have to learn. Oh, yeah. But as a kid, you can't, you know, you think you're writing this good paper. Back then, we were using encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do as a kid with the encyclopedia if you just really just don't know? Well, I just didn't change up my wording like I should have. Not with intent, but I learned a quick lesson about putting things into perspective in our own way. And I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So, Miss Hood, (laughs) one of my favorite teachers. Yeah, I got my same lesson that, but that happened when I was a doctoral student. I was like, "Uh, oops. (laughs) Not with intent. Uh, Not with intent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Mrs. Annette Lusher, she was my 12th grade English teacher. And she just poured in us and she poured in us and she always had us writing and checking the grammar and just being like a teacher and a mother life figure as well. And she was just a great teacher. Mm-hmm. So these are three teachers that I, now Miss Walton, she was my math teacher and I love math, but these other ladies were my English teachers. So I just, you know, I got, can kind of get a balance from all three of them. Yeah. That's nice. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the assistant teacher all the way to the superintendent. That, that is a lesson And she's still the superintendent today. That's awesome. That yeah, is that's great. great. Um, so can you recall two reasons or events that led you to become a teacher? Well, I have to say, one, number one, I come from a family of educators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know? It's like genetic. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably <laughs> genetic. I played teacher. Like growing uh-huh. up, I always, we played school. And yeah, I know yeah. my cousins and my sisters, they probably got sick of me playing school <laughs> because I always wanted to play school and I always had to be the teacher. Yeah, yeah. And it would get to the point where they would be like, well, why you always got to be the teacher? Why can't we be the teacher? No, I have to be the teacher. <laughs> That's right. Because yeah. so I am I the, teacher. the teacher. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the teacher. And so I played school, but I, I have to say that just from being around my family, my grandfather was a t- school administrator. He spent probably 40 years as an administrator. Oh, wow. Gosh. So he was a principal, and he was also the superintendent of Marshall County Schools. Mm-hmm. Um my other grandfather was a school administrator. Mm-hmm. He spent several years on the school board. Yeah, yeah. So I I just grew up around it. Yeah. Um, aunts, not my mom. She didn't want to be a teacher, but yeah. my aunts and my uncles. And so yeah. I think it was just it's kind of the there. right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so when I started off in college here at Ole Miss, and I wanted to be, I, when I was in high school, I was actually in a program over in the School of Pharmacy here. And so that's kind of what made me want to somewhere get into chemistry and pharmacy. Yeah. So I came here and I right. majored in chemistry, but it just never really sat well with me. Mm-hmm. So my roommate, who was also a sorority sister of mine, she was in teacher ed. Mm-hmm. And she would come home in the afternoon making these big, nice projects just all in the floor. Stuff laid out. She yeah, yeah. was a senior. I was a sophomore. And so I would 
No, I might have been a, between my freshman and sophomore year. I think it was like the beginning of my sophomore year. And so I will watch her with these projects and just her be all into it. Her talking about being in the schools. And it's just like it was something that I was missing. Yeah. And that semester, it was kind of hard, but it was like, I need to change my major. Mm. I don't think I really like what I'm doing. Yeah. So I ended up, I dropped a class. Right. And I did what I needed to do. It was just a matter of going, I think it was the School of Liberal Arts. I went over and I said, I want to change a major. And I came to the School of Ed and I changed my major at that point. Do you education. remember who you talked to in the School of Ed about that? Um, Right over here. Is it Don, uh, Donna Patterson? Donna Patterson. Yeah. I you going to say that. Either <laughs> T.P. Vincent or Donna Patterson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I spoke to Dr. Uh, Vincent as mm-hmm. well, but I remember just, it was Miss Patterson. Yeah. 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 She was the first person that yeah, I spoke yeah. with. Mm-hmm. And she's still here too. I Think about her. how many conversations we probably had where like people coming from across campus be like, no, no, I'm I'm called to do this. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's a great story. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, so I just, I feel like I needed to. All right. And I've been happy ever since I made there it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I, I, I was like several majors and then finally found teaching. I didn't have the 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 genetics going on in my <laughs> classroom. Uh, all right, so... We're talking about placing a mile marker on your road to better teaching. So we really think about this as like a moment, right? So a moment that you're like, ooh, this was a moment in my... And and we talked about it a little bit beforehand, and you didn't spoil it for me because I don't know yet. But I think you you got a moment. I had a moment. All right. (laughs) Wait, was it at Costco? (laughs) It wasn't at Costco. Okay, I guess. Alina likes Costco like we do. Yeah, yeah. This was prior to Costco. All right. So I was teaching in Bay Springs, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. That's South Mississippi. And this was actually the first one. Y'all might find it to be weird. But I had this student in fifth grade, female student. She probably was like three years behind. Oh, she wow. had a brother in the class. Mm-hmm. She had a few behavioral issues. But she had a great personality. Um, and I would always try to find ways to redirect her. She was an upbeat student. She was just, I would say, just well involved for the most part in class. With this one particular day, this student shut completely down. Mm. And I was trying to get her back on track. I was trying to get her back into the lesson, and she wasn't having it. She was just, just shut down, just didn't want me saying anything to her. She didn't want to be bothered. She was crying. And I just kept going back to her, trying to get her to see if she was okay. Mm-hmm. And I never couldn't, I couldn't get anything out of her. Um, but so I finally was able, and I had this math class. We taught that class. It was like a two-hour block of time. Mm-hmm. I had three sections of math. So I had each section for like two hours. So I was able to finally get her to come to the hallway. And when I got her out there, she said to me, you don't like me. That was a first for me. <laughs> but when she said it, I was so caught off guard because I thought maybe one of the other kids in the classroom did something. To yeah, me. yeah. I didn't really realize that her anger was directed towards me. Ah. <laughs> so in the hallway with the two of us talking mm-hmm. together, she was adamant about the fact that I did not like her. <laughs> This child was adamant. And I've always 
believe that perception is reality. Yeah, yeah. Yes. She's, you can't take people for granted. If this child is standing here saying, looking me in the eye, crying, and saying, you don't like me. It's like, wait, what? What did I do? Mm-hmm. So then I spent several minutes. Luckily, I had an inclusion teacher. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I spent, y'all wouldn't believe it. I really was trying to get to the bottom of what the problem was with this student. This was actually the first, this wasn't my first time having students to shut down, but it was something different about this moment. Yeah. And for her to tell me in the hallway that I didn't like her, it kind of touched me in a different kind of way. It actually, it hurt my feelings. It it made me wonder what I had done. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that has stuck with me ever since it happened. Now, y'all might see it to be weird, but that was just a, a, a moment that kind of changed my perspective and, and raised my awareness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wanting my students to know that I'm here for all of them mm-hmm. because I don't, she never even told me what I did to make her feel like I didn't like her, but she was adamant about the fact that I didn't like her. So something in my mind must have been happening in that classroom to make her feel like she wasn't included yeah, yeah. or she was left out right? or I maybe ignored her or overlooked her in some kind of way. I don't know. But for me, it was a defining moment because you don't want students to feel that way. Yeah. And I never had a child confident enough to say to me that I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, if a child feels like you don't like them, you really would want your students to tell you and express their feelings or yeah. feel safe enough right. to express their feelings yeah. to you. And so I often, I've always thought back to that moment. Um, in my career of teaching because I've always, since that happened, wanted to make sure that students don't feel isolated or don't feel like I don't like them. Mm-hmm. If you got a child sitting there and you don't like them, how can you teach them? How can you reach them? Yeah, yeah. Like, how can you get them back involved in yeah. what's going on? And what do you do to fix it? So at that moment, my whole goal was to fix it. And I think I fixed it, but I just never wanted it to happen again. Yeah. So I think that that's why I've always thought back to that child telling me, looking me in the face and saying, you don't like me. And mm-hmm. she meant it. And so I, I just I just don't want, I never wanted any other student to feel that way after this one student looked me in the eye and told me that I didn't like her. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think what's interesting, too, Alina, what, what you're saying is that you didn't question her. Like you just said, it's perception is reality, which I, I am a big believer in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that it wasn't, you weren't going to figure out if she, what her misconception was. You were going to figure out what you needed to do to make her not feel that way, which I think is probably an approach some, some may not take. They may see it as the fault of the student. Let me prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They may see that. You know, what is it? You know, what is it that you misinterpreted? What right. is it, instead of what you did was you took it to heart and said, "This is real for her, regardless of what I think." You know, what, that I can't figure out what it is. It must be something, right? And so, like, I appreciate that and what you said about perception is reality because I think that that we don't as teachers. 
think that way enough about mm-hmm. what our teach what our students say to us and how they feel. We always want to explain it away or have some reason why they should or shouldn't do this, that or the other, or feel this way or that way, instead of just accepting and then thinking about what you can do to to help that student um, and accepting their their perception as the reality. Right, because at the end of the day, we're there for the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not there for us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, I I, I, it's like such a simple statement, but it like it just like hits you in the face. Yeah, yeah. That's great. They, like, they're they, they're not there for us. That's absolutely true. I mean, they hit me like a ton of bricks, and I I, I know like some people might be like, well, why does she care? I felt so bad when that child was crying, and she looked. She was crying, and she looked at me, and she said, "You don't like me." But why wouldn't I like you? But I just wanted her to make her feel welcome, to make her feel safe, to do whatever I needed to do to change her perception. Yeah. Not be to to make her know that she was welcomed in my class, to fix it, to make her know that hey, whatever I've done to you, I apologize. Yeah. Because it was never my intent to make you feel how you feel now. Like, I don't know what led her to this, but it wasn't my intent. I don't want anybody to feel that way. Yeah. Which, you know, everybody is not going to feel that you like them, or you might not feel that everybody likes you, but you want people to be okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. one of these people. I want people to be okay. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I wonder, too, whether the, the, you know, the, the background that you shared, like, pro- maybe has felt that before. And maybe, actually, maybe another teacher was maybe even open about it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. I mean, like, and, and so, like, her, the relationship with school, you know, might not have been at the its best point. And the fact is, like, you know, there could have been something they perceived that reminded them of something from b- before that, again, brought on that response. And so just being sensitive to that, I mean, that's that's a testament to you and your, your, your teaching there. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, I think about it. All the time. Yeah. Even if I've had students that seem frustrated, mm-hmm. you know, you want to just get on it immediately. Oh, yeah. And not have the students, you want them to be okay. Which students do face some levels of frustration. It could be academic-wise. It could be behavior-wise. Um, Because I know at that point I was teaching math and I was in elementary ed. Mm-hmm. But I also went into special education. And so changing from elementary over into secondary sped, I kind of have taken it. I took that with me in that moment along the way um, to just try to take care of students. Yeah, yeah. Take care of their social well-being. Before we even got all off into this social, emotional type learning, I knew that it was a problem. Right. Before we have really just like dug deep into the topic. Yeah, yeah. Deep into the dialogue that's taking place with social emotional yeah. learning now mm-hmm. it's always been real yeah yeah um and so for me that was that was an emotional situation yeah yeah for both sides right for her and mm-hmm. for me as well but my job was to fix it yeah yeah and i think there are two branches i was just i was teaching a class yesterday um to a group of undergrads and we were talking about uh social development mm-hmm. and it was just the some theories we were talking about and I started, you know, reminding them that 
you know, you're teaching as a teacher, your responsibility is obviously to teach the content, but your responsibility is also to teach social skills. And it's just part of, it's part of teaching. So, but there's two prongs to that. Not only is it your job to teach social skills, in order to do your job well to teach anything, you have to have a social and emotional connection with your children, and they have to know that you care about them. Um, so it's like t it's two branches that are important in the classroom. You're teaching them the social skills, but you're connecting with them in a, a important social and emotional way to be able for them to accept you as someone who's trustworthy to deliver content and to which they'll listen to you. So, you know, and like Dr. Amidon brought up just now that you were talking about your teachers that influenced you and how the, that social emotional support was so important mm -hmm. to you as a young person. Yeah. Um, it's foundational to everything else that happens in That's the classroom. Right. And we are reflective. So you have to also reflect back on these experiences that you've had as a student. And you think back on these teachers who made you feel safe. Right. who made the class feel comfortable. And those are the practices I think that as teachers that if we reflect on, we'll be good at what we do. Yeah. Yes. Not, you know, harping on the, the negative things that happen, even though these things happen. I think that you could take the negative and know what you shouldn't do. And we learn the things from these negative things or negative experiences that happen with us in school. You know, we were coming through K-12 to not do these things with our students. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, make it be good and okay for everybody because if you don't meet these social and emotional needs of students, you can't teach them. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's going to be just like you. I mean, it's just going to be hard to develop students if you don't take care of that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, we get to talk about the importance of it in your development as a teacher it seems like we hit that but i don't know if you had anything else to add about how this moment is important to your development as a teacher well i think it's is it was important for me for my development as a teacher because from that moment i learned to pay close attention to my students and what's going and how they look to even feel mm -hmm. like how do you enter this classroom can you look at your students and see if they're in a bad mood before you even start teaching um just to be a just to be alert just mm -hmm. to be um in, in in the know about how students are yeah are over, overall yeah, yeah just how they feel like mm -hmm. what, what how do you feel today are you ready for class today and if you see that it's a problem what do you do? How do you strategize yeah. to get it right? We've been thinking about how much that means just when you see some student comes in and they look, you know, they they don't look themselves or, they're, you know, there's something's up. And just to, just even the, the move to say, hey, I notice everything okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if they, they don't want to say something, but the fact that you noticed and you said something, I got to think that that's adding to their, you, you've just put a deposit in their emotional bank account. Like, hey, my teacher... I might not be ready to share with them, but I since I noticed that they, I noticed they noticed, right. and so that's uh, that's a good thing. And when they are ready to share, you've you've proven that you're someone that is trustworthy. Exactly. Yeah. Just a safe space. Yeah. Just being aware to provide a trust and safe learning environment. Nice. So we ask our students when they're doing such things like uh, identifying these moments and then reflecting on them within their portfolios, we ask them to identify, you know, hey, how's it important to the field? So thinking about the in-task standards that this connects to, 
And I don't know. It, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that. I, I, I got one that I think kind of nails it, but I don't know if you had one that you wanted to identify. I actually have two. Oh, nice. So when you think about the standards, the first category, the learning <coughs> and learning standard two, um, with learning differences, the teacher, it states that the teacher uses understanding of individual differences in diverse cultures and communities to ensure inclusive learning environments that enable each learner to meet high standards. Well, for me and for that moment would be inclusive. Mm. Um, If this student felt that I didn't like her, she didn't feel included. Something caused her to feel that she was excluded from the classroom. It was a disconnect. And it's my responsibility as the educator to turn around and make that connection and to make her feel that learning is inclusive, that it is for her and everyone in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one that stood out for me. The second one is professional responsibility. Oh, yeah. Standard nine, professional learning and ethical practice. The teacher engages in ongoing professional learning and uses evidence to continually evaluate his or her practice, particularly the effects of his or her choices and actions on others, the learners, families, other professionals, and the community, and adapts practice to meet the needs of the learner. Well, in this case, had I have ignored her, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't have been ethical. Right, that just wouldn't have been the right thing to do, and it just her family wouldn't have appreciated. It. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that those two standards are the ones that kind of stand out for me in regard to this situation in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I was thinking of two also, standard one. I don't know if you're thinking that too, Dr. Monroe. The learners, learner and learning. The learner development. Learner development, yeah. Yeah. I think about the social and emotional. Absolutely. But, I mean, what, I, I agree exactly with what you said it, too. What I think is interesting about Dr. Harsh's choices and standards, they're about what she, her responsibility yeah. is. Which sometimes we think about these standards in terms of what are, what are the, you know, thinking about like um, – what what's happening with the student? But you're thinking, what's happening with me? Mm-hmm. Like, what is my responsibility? Which which also echoes what you were saying about I'm there for the students. The students are there for me. Like it, it's you're like that theme is um, yeah consistent. Yeah, which absolutely. I love. Like that your choices and standards are consistent with the statement you made. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, yeah. With what you believe about your responsibilities are and how you saw that particular moment as something that was your responsibility, not her your problem, not her problem. To make these things possible for the student. Yes. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I like that. The, the, even your choices and standards speak to um, what you learned in that situation, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I don't know, and maybe this is more of a tangent, but like when I first entered the classroom and think about, because we're thinking about special education too. So I had a, you know inclusive classroom and... When I first was in the class, so this was uh, oh, this is before '04 when IDEA was redone, IDEA, um, and so it was, oh, there's a student in your classroom and they're struggling. Ah, they need sir. We're gonna pull them from your classroom and give them services, right? Versus, you know, in IDEA till '04 when they said, hey, how about you look at your own teaching? 
put the response, like think about what you could do as a teacher to help that student be successful. That's because that student's successful. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with the student. There could be something wrong with the way that you try, that way that you're teaching the student, the environment you're creating for that student and how do you improve as a teacher? And like, again, that responsibility, just like with what Dr. Monroe was talking about. Like, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, so we think about the, you know, awesome sharing of the moment. I love it. Uh, I don't think that was weird. That was good. Yeah, I thought it was, was a yeah, great moment. Yeah, yeah, it was a great moment. Yeah. So um, we ask our students to create these uh, pocket-sized philosophy statements that they carry with them. Do you, do you have a pocket-sized philosophy statement? Okay. All right. All students should be educated in a safe environment conducive to learning while meeting the diverse individual, social, and emotional needs of all students. That's my pocket-sized philosophy. There you go. Hey, nice. It, it, it matches. I hear, it matches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear these and I always want, I was like, I want that to be my pocket yeah, size yeah. philosophy. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So what is this, I, I don't know, if there are any things that are running through your mind, either like resources and things that help, I don't know, maybe like people that are taking this moment and like, ooh, kind of identify anything that comes to mind of resources or things. I got one I can start with. Yeah, yeah you start. And I've, I got one that I actually, while you were saying something, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I got to remember, I got to pull up the name of that book so I can say it the right way during the resource uh, dump. So there was someone uh, who I had a chance to interact with when I was a, 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 a doc student. His name was Norman Kunk. And he talked about the hierarchy of needs and sometimes how it gets inverted, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you talk about being, being able to belong in a classroom, that's a, that's a need that kids have. And then, then if you have that need, something, then you are able to perform and, and, and you know, self-actualize, self-realize, whatever your potential. And sometimes he, he would talk about that sometimes that gets reversed where, you know, where students are asked to perform first. And if you perform, then you belong in this class, Mm-hmm. Or the vice versa, and so like I like how you're saying like you're you're thinking like taking on the responsibility. No, no, no I want to make sure that this student who's had documented struggles of that like feels like they're included, they are part of this classroom, and that'll create the environment and that that it can perform. So making sure that that again that triangle doesn't get inverted, like Norman Kuhn would have to say, but actually gets put in the right space that we're taking care of needs that kids feel like they have a place in these cl- in the classrooms, so that then they can demonstrate their brilliance you know so there you go so when you were talking about this relationship you you wanted to make sure that you didn't have this damaged relationship with the student because you knew how important it was to have a repair repair and you were working hard to figure out how you could repair this relationship so it made me think of Gershon Kaufman's um ideas around the interpersonal bridge so Gershon Kaufman writes about shame and is a psychologist and um with that particular focus. And so that break in the interpersonal bridge, that interpersonal bridge is so important. And we have interpersonal bridges with people that like caregivers, parents, teachers, those kinds of things. And that break in the interpersonal bridge, that student saw a break Mm -hmm. or felt a break in the interpersonal bridge with you and therefore shut down. And you wanted to repair that bridge. That was your goal. And so I thought about Kaufman and his book that really helped me understand that and thinking about that. And it's certainly not about the classroom, but there's a lot of messages about that teachers can take. His book is Shame, the Power of Caring uh, by Gershon Kaufman. It's a really great um, and it's a very approachable and readable book that I think could really be something that uh, teachers might be interested in 
and reading about the importance of those personal relationships, that interpersonal bridge that trust is built upon, mm -hmm. and how important that is. And when that gets broken, how important the repair is in order for the relationship to move on. And those relationships happen in the classroom. It's not just about relationships at home. It's about relationships with teachers as well. And he talks about teachers as being you know, uh, one of those people that builds bridges with children, so. What a metaphor, too, because, like, you know, you're talking about, in, you know, perception and reality and things like that. Like, you know, kids, like, the bridge is broken. Like, no, no, bridge is fine. <laughs> yeah. No, drive over that thing. They're like, oh, yeah, no. no. I'm not going, no, I'm going crash, <laughs> crash down into the canyon. Like, no, 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 it's fine. No, no, you, seriously, you're, you're wrong. Drive on that thing. Yeah, like, that's no, exactly no, right. No, I'm not, yeah. Yep. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Uh, anything else? Any, do you have anything that you want? Any resource or anything you want to share? Yeah, anything Take else? Take it back to Maslow. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah, yeah. Eric Erickson. Uh -huh. Just study those theoretical perspectives, and then you will know, like, how kids develop and how they feel and what they need and why we as educators must meet those needs. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder, like, well, why can't we reach these objectives? Well, think about all these other stuff ahead of time that we need to to repair or make sure mm -hmm. is in, in place. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. Well, thank you, Alina, for being a for sharing a mile marker on your road to better teaching. We appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me. Great to have you. And thanks to all of you out there that for tuning in to The Road to Better Teaching. This episode may be over, but The Road to Better Teaching never ends. Please subscribe to the podcast so you are notified when the next episode is ready for a listen. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast. You can also share the podcast with somebody you feel may be interested in these stories of teacher development. If you want to find any links to resources mentioned, you can check out the show notes for this episode at roadtobetterteaching.com. Finally, thank you to all of you listeners out there for taking the road to better teaching. This world is a better place because you have used the gifts you've been given to teach others. And finally, this road to better teaching podcast is an Amadon Planet production.